Welcome in everyone to this episode of the Backflip Podcast. My name is Damien here with Matt and David. And if you saw our first episode of this, no, you didn't, because uh, we are having all kinds of fun here with internet issues and uh, new streaming sites. It's all going bananas here, but we have a ton of stuff to talk about today, over 30 plus years. So instead of jumping around and asking blabbering all about how we're doing, we're all doing fantastic. We're dealing with this. Um, so let's just jump right into all the stuff. And let's go ahead and start with one of the biggest things that happened just today, um, and that is that the Royals signed Bobby Witt Jr. to a massive extension, 11 years, $288.7 million. There is, it buys out three free agents to use, four player options, $35 million each one of those, then three more club options after that, to take the max deal for 14 years, $377.7 million. Just a massive, massive deal. For, uh, for Bobby Witt and the Royals. So, guys, let's go ahead and start with David. What did you think of this deal when it dropped today? Oh, man. Um, this one was a bit of a surprise, right? I mean, you know, we heard Bobby Witt and, and the Royals were engaged in extension talks. I kind of thought those weren't going to go anywhere because there was no way the Royals were going to give him a, you know, a mega contract. And the Royals gave him a mega contract, and that's pretty cool. Um, you know, more I, I think this goes to show that the the smaller market teams, even ones owned by Patrick uh, Mahomes in part, uh, can give out big contracts, right? And this is a great contract for Bobby Witt Jr. Obviously, it locks him into a huge salary, and then he's got an opt out in year seven that makes him what like twenty nine thirty. He can he can opt out and be a free agent and go again in free agency. So. Uh, you know, big deal for Bobby Wood Jr., big deal for the Royals, who have spent a lot of money this offseason. Uh, definitely a new a new direction, and with a very winnable AL Central uh, up, for the, up for the taking. I, I think they're going to supplement this somehow. Not sure how, but, you know, I, I think the Royals are showing that they're willing to make some moves and go out and try to win a division that it seems like uh, no one's really trying to win so far. Yeah, I uh, I like this deal for Bobby Witt Jr. for sure. Uh, I like it for both sides. Obviously, the Royals keeping the guy that, you know, the homegrown talent that they drafted, keeping him at home. Uh, I was listening to something earlier that the, the Royals only have one Hall of Famer, and, you know, they just have lacked major, like, long-term players throughout their entire history except for George Brett. Everyone else has gone after free agency. They've got other guys like Carlos Beltran, who is really, really good for a long time. But like they, they all left for free agency. So now you, you're going to have a guy in Bobby Witt Jr. there locked up for, for sure for, I think, it's without the player options, it's what, eight years? Um, you know, he'll be there for the next eight years, I believe, before the player options start kicking in. And, and I mean, the player options, $35 million a year, that's a lot of money. So, you know, he might take those eventually, pick those up. Um, you know, and then of course the club option on the end is just a little bit in case the, you know, uh, it could help a little bit if if he's kind of right at that thirty-five million value where he takes those, then that club option at the end could be could be a good deal for the uh, for the team too. But uh, definitely definitely really cool. Uh, Bobby Witt Jr. now at what twenty-three years old is guaranteed to make two hundred ninety million dollars, which is really cool for him. Um, mm-hmm. And I mean, this buys out three years of free agency before those player options. Um, so it's very, um, you know, this I think this is a very good deal, and I'm I'm excited for the uh, excited for the Royals fans. I know they're they're just talk about them moving into a new ballpark potentially here in a few years, where they're they're trying to get financing and, and support for it, and this type of move really helps with that. Yeah, unlike the uh, the A's moves, and they're 
current uh, <laughs> deal with the uh, with their ballpark funding, but that is for another episode here. Uh, so let's jump over to the Chicago Cubs. David is going to be happy about this. They sign starting pitcher Shota Imanaga to a four-year, $53 million contract. That is really, really complex. Um, I don't even know if we have enough time to explain everything that's going on with that contract. Um, but they also signed Hector Neris to a one-year, $9 million deal that has a club option for 2025 for another $9 million. David, your Cubs finally made some moves. Oh, I'm so glad. They finally did. Uh, these moves were almost like a month apart, too, which is kind of funny. Uh, Imanaga yeah. was done, I think, like like a week after our, our last free agent update episode. Uh, it was like they, a couple you know, days. Yeah, it was not far off. So <laughs> we had kind of teased that the Cubs were involved there, and I think that we had mentioned that the, the, the price tag was approaching $100 million. Cubs get him for a guaranteed salary of $53 million. They've got a swell opt-in there where if Imanaga opts in in either year three or four to the next year, the Cubs can take year five as well, uh, and which makes the deal like $85 million in total um, if they do take that team opt. But it's all it's very risk-averse, um, and it's possible that this is like a two-year $30 million deal if Imanaga opts out really quickly. So, uh, you know, guy with the over in Japan, he's, he led the league in strikeouts over Yamamoto uh, last season, and, you know, he's got this, like, low uh, angle from the left side, with like a, a high rising fastball that, that only goes like 92 or 93. But we've, we've seen that if pitchers throw that, you know, 93 to 95 mile an hour fastball high in the zone, like Alexis Diaz or Paul Sewell, they can really, you know, get some whiffs with it. And uh, I think Imanaga is going to have that. And he's got a, you know, the, the Japanese bag of tricks, the, the splitter, the, sl- the slider, everything there um, that, you know, you want from the, you know, a, a starting pitcher. So, and we'll see if he can make that transition. I, he's definitely obviously less of a guarantee than a guy like Yamamoto or, um, you know, some of the other guys that we've seen come over. That's why the deal is much less than like you Darvish or somebody like that, but he's still a good pitcher and I'm, I'm pretty excited about it. And Naris is going to anchor the back end of the Cubs bullpen. That's a, that was a slam dunk signing, especially given the reliever contracts that are coming out. I mean, at one point we heard that Naris might get like 50 million from the Yankees and that didn't materialize. And, you know, nine million from the Cubs. That's just a that's money, and they've been great with their one year deals for relievers of late. So, um, yeah, I mean, Naris is a big upgrade over you know throwing in some of these guys that didn't have any experience. And these are two really good moves for the Cubs who are moving towards being that favorite in the NL Central. They, I think they need one or two more moves, and and they'll be there. And the moves are kind of kind of obvious if you look at who's still out there. But we won't get into that. Yeah, um, I I think that Shoto Imanaga was a, a really good signing at this price. Um, I think that a lot of way, a lot of times, uh, a lot of prospect evaluator type people have said they thought he was going to be like a really, really, really good major leaguer, and then some have said that they think he's more of like a swing guy, you know, or a five starter or whatever. But uh, four for fifty three—that's a price that you would like to get a a, a swing starter. I mean. So yep. it, it, like it's pretty risk averse, like you said. I think it's a good signing. I don't know if it totally moves the needle for how good the Cubs are going to be this year, but it's, they definitely needed another arm because I mean they're you know their pitching rotation is pretty thin as it is, and bringing in Imanaga is going to for sure help them, you know, supplement you know Justin Steele and. Uh, I guess uh, Jamison Tayon and Kyle Hendricks. So right. uh, get, getting a couple more guys there. And then Hector Neris, he's an interesting one. I, I, I totally understand why his contract is as low as it is. His velocity dropped like over about one and a half miles per hour from 2022 to 2023. 
and his peripherals uh, spiked, even though his ERA was was really really good. Um, he um, this is a guy. He's been a little bit up and down over the last four or five years, but you know, with Houston, he's been really solid. Um, I think one year for nine million with that club option because he does still have some upside. He's he's thirty four years old, which is or thirty five years old this year, which is a veteran reliever, but. You know, relievers typically are able to pitch a little bit longer into their 30s at a high level. So the age is still, you know, fairly manageable for him. And, uh, you know, getting that club option for a guy with some upside is really nice for the Cubs, too. So uh, I thought that was a good signing, even though, like like I say, and the Cubs obviously needed bullpen help, too. I mean, they really have like one, maybe two relievers that you can count on in the back end, if that. So. Uh, Hector Neris adds a guy that has a lot of upside and pedigree to to that group, so I, I think it's a pretty good signing. Yeah, good signings for both, and then uh, you know they're going to be a contender in the NL Central this year, and another team helped them out, which we'll get to here in a little bit um, on that side. Uh, some of these deals you'll see we're going to basically kind of breeze through because we have a lot to get to, um, but. The next one we're going to jump to is that the Yankees signed a uh, relief pitcher. I guess he's going to be used as a reliever. Luke Weaver to a one-year $2 million deal with a club option um, that could take that to a two-year $8.25 million deal. Uh, and then they went out and signed Marcus Stroman to a two-year $37 million deal with a player opt-out for 2026. Uh, but that becomes a vested uh, third year with 140 innings this year. The, the the Yankees effectively get Marcus Stroman, who was an all-star uh, the first half of last season and, and was one of the better pitchers in the National League for a while there. Um, and to, to a deal that you would have been shocked, he would have signed that um, before the all-star break of this last season. He got a blister in London and his season went completely downhill from there. Uh, he was so brutally bad that the Cubs moved, you know, they, they pulled him back out of injury and moved him to the bullpen. He, they had a little disagreement over that and Stroman ends up opting out of a guaranteed $20 million with the Cubs to sign a $18 million annual average value deal with the Yankees, a team he has famously dissed in the past, um, on Twitter, but you know, let bygones, let bygones be bygones. And, you know, I think this is a, it's a good deal for the Yankees, right? I mean, Stroman when healthy and when, you know, mechanically sound is one of the better pitchers in baseball, but he's gotta be, you know, pinpoint because his, his velocity and stuff isn't all that good. So, you know, when he's on, he's really good. And when he's off, he's really bad. And I, I mean, I've seen that as much as anybody, but Yankees fans should enjoy Stroman and the swagger and you know, everything that he brings as long as the New York media isn't a little bright for him because we've seen it with the Mets that that's kind of blown up in the past. So, um, you know, I think, I think Stroman will be, will be a good fit there, but you know, it's a, uh, you know, it, it, it comes with some risks. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm with you. The first off the, the Luke Weaver deal is kind of interesting when he was used as a reliever year before last, uh, you know, he, his peripherals were actually pretty good and his velocity was up. So maybe if the Yankees use him as a reliever, they could find something there. Uh, Marcus Stroman, the two-year, thirty-seven million. I, I think that's a pretty good deal. Um, I think kind of on both sides. He's a he's he's a guy that you know his last two years, and David can tell you is you know better than anybody else. He's been injured a lot. You know he's he hadn't broke one hundred forty innings over the last two years. Um, you know, and when he's pitched, he's been pretty good. Um, he's not an ace, but he's been pretty good. Um, you know, this year. You, you mentioned the injuries. Uh, his velocity was down a pretty good bit this year, but I don't know how much is re- that's related to late in the season coming off of some injuries. 
So there, there's a possibility that that's, uh, you know, that that might rebound. But uh, I think the projection systems have him around a four ERA. He's a good fit for Yankee Stadium because he's a ground ball guy. He, he gets the ball on the ground. For his career, over 60% of the time, he's been getting the ball on the ground or, or close to 60% of the time. Um, you know, over the last few years, it's been more in the mid, low to mid fifties, but, um, you know, I think he's a guy that, you know, he's a, he's a solid pitcher and the Yankees needed, uh, some depth in that rotation. Um, I do worry a little bit about the personality fit there in New York, but, you know, if it works out well, then, you know, Marcus Stroman will have a really good, uh, I probably have a good couple of years there. Yeah. If Stroman thought the Mets media was bad, wait till he meets the, uh, the Yankees media. Um, so let's jump over to the Cincinnati Reds where they ended up signing Brent Suter to a one year, two and a half million dollar deal also has a club option for three and a half million, uh, probably to be a back end starter for them. But, uh, Suter was a guy who was really sought after this off season, um, and got a solid deal here with the Reds. Yeah, this is, this is interesting. Cause I mean, in Colorado last year, he had like a 3.38 ERA in 69 innings and a 3.44 FIP. I mean, that's really good for pitching in Colorado. And the guy doesn't have the stuff that you would expect a, a reliever to have. But I mean, the Reds needed some depth, and I, I think that for that price, I mean, that's fantastic for them. Yeah, only two starts last year though. So if he's making that switch to the to the starting rotation, he's going to have to, uh, you know, pitch in Coor, uh, Coors yeah. Light basically over in Cincinnati too. Yeah, had, that, that may be difficult for him. He hasn't started since 2018. So I mean, yeah, other than just yeah. a game here or there. Yeah, know? I think the initial plan is to stretch him out as a starter, see what they got, and then they can always throw him to the bullpen yeah. um, yeah. if necessary from there. Um, talking about a guy who's making the switch from the bullpen to the starting rotation, and that is Jordan Hicks who signed a four-year, $44 million deal with the San Francisco Giants. Yeah, I kind of feel the same way about him as I do about Suter when it comes to the pitching, uh, what, what, how he's going to p- be used. I mean, I think Jordan Hicks is a really good reliever. His his top thing about him is that he throws, like, ungodly hard. <laughs> and it's a, it's got a lot of sink. He's got, like, that one, like, incredible pitch. Uh, he finally had the strikeouts follow this year, which – you know, for a guy that throws 103 miles an hour, like he's never really had the strikeout totals you would expect. It's always been around one per nine or uh, one strikeout per inning. But last year it spiked up. Um, you know, he did start 28 games in 2022, so he does have some experience doing that. But I definitely think that he's more of a reliever to me. I mean, I, I think it would be wise to utilize him and utilize his best fit there. And I mean, the Giants have a really good bullpen already. They've got both of the, you know, the Rogers brothers and they've got Camilo Doval. And if you can add Jordan Hicks to that bullpen, I mean, you got four guys who are really, really well thought of relievers. Plus, you know, I'm sure they've got other guys there too, because the giants have, have made a living off of bringing in, you know, solid relievers over the last few years. So, um, four years, 44 million. That's, that's a pretty good amount of money. Uh, but you know, the way the reliever market has been this year, that's been pretty much it. And you never know, maybe stretching him out, maybe he does figure out a way to start. I mean, I, I'll be surprised if he sticks in, our, in the rotation. But uh, this is a guy with a lot of upside, and I think it's a pretty solid deal for the Giants. Given that we've run over two of these guys in the last two, I'd much rather have Brent Suter. 
Like, oh, by uh, a lot. At, the price, least, at least for the price point, yeah. Well, at that price, but then also Brent Suter's a lot more reliable in track record, right? Even if you do have to send yeah. him back to the bullpen, the guy who gets a 3 ARA every single year is Brent Suter. Very reliable, including being in Colorado. I, I would much rather have Brent Suter than Jordan Hicks on this deal. I think this is a... This is a weird move that probably doesn't work out for the Giants, but the Giants are trying to flex their their coaching muscles as one of the better development teams in baseball, and I don't foresee this going well. That That's where I'm at yep. with it. Well, then, it's been notorious that the Giants have struggled to get free agents there this offseason, um, you know, and maybe getting a guy who Hicks has shown the willingness to, or wanting to, to start before with St. Louis, um, so a place that gives him the chance to start. The Giants paying a little bit extra than what he probably market value would be for him as a reliever to make sure that he can start. Um, and then the, he can always bounce back to that bullpen and just give them an elite bullpen if necessary. Uh, so let's jump over to the Toronto Blue Jays who made a couple moves signing uh, pitcher Yariel Rodriguez to a four-year $32 million deal and then also signing Justin Turner to a one-year $13 million deal. Yeah, with Yariel Rodriguez, I remember uh, back last year, last March, I guess, um, with the World Baseball Classic, the very first game of the World Baseball Classic, Team Cuba was playing against, uh, I don't even remember, maybe the team, it was the Team Netherlands. Yeah, it was and the Netherlands and Taiwan. I think it was the Netherlands, and Yariel Rodriguez struck out, like, the first three or four guys, and his stuff just looked nasty, and I was like, is this guy, like, is he a prospect or something? Because I'd never heard of him, mm-hmm. and then I realized, that, you know, his story of having gone from Cuba to Japan and pitching there to, to get, you know, to where he can be posted, or he not posted, but be brought over to the U.S. It was the way to get, get from Cuba to the U.S., and... uh yeah, Yoriel Rodriguez. I think it's a pretty solid deal. I mean, that's a pretty good amount of money. Uh, I know it's a guy who I think they're going to try to start him, but um, he probably profiles better as a reliever. Command's been a, a little bit of a you know a, an issue for him, but he's got a really good breaking ball and he throws hard. So I think that uh you know that this could end up being a bargain for the Blue Jays. And of course, you know it's it is real enough money to where if he just doesn't work out, it probably hurts him a little bit. But it's just, you know eight million dollars a year is now like the one million dollar a year deal it was like four years ago i mean it's the inflation of player contracts is is going pretty crazy right now so i like yariel rodriguez but i question whether he can be a starter and if he can be a a good but if he can be a multi a good multi-inning reliever like we know his stuff flashes very plus from those world baseball classic performances um you know he, he can definitely be you know a two or three inning swing guy right to take you from the you know the fourth to the eighth if your starting pitcher is running running on fumes or something um or if you do a bullpen game or something like that so he can be very valuable for the blue jays it's just you know it's again this is another contract i prefer to the jordan hicks contract just 11 a year for a guy who does not start like it's just it's very difficult for me to to wrap my my brain around in this but justin turner's a rock solid contract right i mean one year for a guy who's been a reliable you know star level hitter for you know, the last decade or so, I mean, the Dodgers and then uh, over with the Red Sox and this year now he'll be with the Blue Jays. That doesn't get them any more left-handed, but, you know, they've retained Kevin Kiermeyer, um, and they've kind of, they got Dalton Varsho last offseason, so Justin Turner will be a nice veteran piece to lead those young guys along. Yeah, I didn't even mention Justin Turner, but I agree, like, he's he's perfect for their clubhouse, and the one thing that I question with that is that that's another DH for the Blue Jays, because yeah. the guy that's playing first base for them really should be a DH. 
Well, the, there's still the uncertainty around them re-signing Matt Chapman, and Turner can still fill some time at third yep. base as well. Um, so I, I could still see him getting some time at third, first, maybe even second, um, on top of being a DH there. And, and it's just a consistent bat to put in that lineup um, every single day right now. So, uh, so let's jump over to a couple smaller moves, but that was the St. Louis Cardinals bringing back Matt Carpenter for the league minimum uh, of 740000 That's because he's still getting paid from um, Atlanta due to that trade and then uh, signing reliever Kenyon Middleton to a one year, $6 million deal with a club option for $6 million as well. So uh, Cardinals bring back one of their legends and then add to their, to their bullpen. I think the guy they DFA'd for Kenyon Middleton was a better potential player. Uh, Guillermo Zuniga. I think that guy might have, might be a better reliever next season than Kenyon Middleton. So that for whatever that's worth, I've saw I've seen multiple Cardinals fans with that exact take, um, and you know he was a I think Zuniga was he's 25 years old, you know had 4.50 ERA uh, last season, but in, in a limited time and in AAA he walked a lot of guys, but he was he's got nasty stuff, right? He throws 99. I, I, I you know I'd probably rather just give that guy the run than than try to sign a you know a middling a middling Middleton, but. You know, Matt, hopefully Matt Carpenter is still terrible and not a demon when he is with the Cardinals. I was going to say, Matt Carpenter is going to pull the Albert Pujols, go back to uh, be bad for like three years and then go back to go back to St. Louis and be incredible. But no, uh, I mean, I, I think Matt Carpenter is just at best a, just a bench bat that can hit against some right righties. Maybe it's a pitch hitter. I mean, the only reason the Cardinals are signing him is because he was like a long-term Cardinal and it would be, you know, they need somebody on their bench. So and might it's as well. Yeah. It's league minimum. Yeah. You might as well. And then Kenyon Middleton, I don't, I don't hate him as much as David does. I mean, he, he had a, he has pretty good, a, a couple of good pitches. I, I think he's got a really good change up. Um, he actually struck out a ton of guys last year, uh, 11.3 strikeouts per nine. Um, the ERA was 3.38, which is really good, and his xFIP was a 3.26. He did he did walks, uh, you know, a decent amount of guys, but it wasn't out of control. 4.09 walks per nine. Uh, gave up some homers, but you know he, he still got the ball on the ground a lot. He got the ball 56% ground ball rate with an 11% K rate is really impressive. I think some of it was just bad home run luck and uh, throws pretty hard. I mean, Zuniga throws in- extremely hard, but I mean, he had like an eight ERA at AAA and walked the ballpark. So I think that Kenyon Middleton's definitely not a lock to be really good because his track record wouldn't tell you he's good. But, uh, you know, it's I think it's kind of worth a gamble. I mean, it's not that much money. You get a club option, too. So if he does do well, you probably get a bargain second year. You know, but if he pitches like he did in 2023, I think he's going to be a, a you know solid for them. Yeah, so let's move over from one relief arm to another one, and that is the big closer that was on the market this year, and that's Josh Hader, signed with the Houston Astros for a five-year, $95 million deal. Um, you know, we're playing the shenanigans here, but t- technically the biggest present-day value of a relief pitcher <laughs> contract ever. He didn't beat Edwin Diaz's, what was that, 105? Yeah. 102. Uh, he didn't beat that number, but Edwin Diaz did have deferred money that made it lower um, in today's value. So Hader signing five year, 95 million with the Houston Astros. Yeah, leave it to the Dodgers fans to, to talk, fan to talk about deferrals, but hey, um, <laughs> hey we'll talk about it here in a little bit. <laughs> um, but yeah, we got um, 
Josh Hader, of course, is a is a very good reliever. I mean, he's been for a long time. Uh, 2022 was super weird where he, after he got traded, he was terrible, but he was back to being really good in 2023. His peripherals were, were a little bit higher this past year than they have been in the past. Uh, but still, even with the higher peripherals, a 269 FIP is still incredible. It's just not the 169 FIP he put up in 2021. Um, but uh, definitely, definitely really good. He did walk a lot more guys in 2023, but he is a reliever and relievers are volatile. And, um, you know, I think Josh Hader, of course, he's about as good of a bet as you can get of a reliever. And that's a lot of money to be paying a guy, especially when the the Astros have a lot of, um, they got a lot of like pending issues with, with their roster. You know, Bregman's about to be a free agent. Altuve's about to be a free agent. You know, Verlander's going to be gone. You're going to have to replace him after he, you know, he'll be free agent or retire or whatever. Um, you know, they, they've got some question marks coming up. So that is a lot of money to be paying a reliever when you maybe want to resign Alex Bregman, you know, or or something. But uh, still, uh, you know, for this year, I mean, Josh Hader's a really good bet to be a elite reliever. And they needed a lefty, and they got one now. So, yeah, this came out of. Kendall Graveman getting uh, surgery, and I believe yeah. he's out for the season now. Yeah, uh, he he did. So th- they, that came around really fast when I think the owner uh, Crane steps in and yeah. decided to to get get Hater on board. And I think this will be the first year the Astros are paying the luxury tax in their run, which is crazy um, because that that's been a really good team for a long time, and they've run it under the luxury tax. Now they've taken uh, some team friendly deals like or the Alvarez extension to do that, but I mean Hater's a a near Hall of Fame level closer. You know, he's going to need a few more good seasons in Houston here to cement that, but he's on that kind of pace. And um, yeah, I mean, this is a, this is a no brainer, right? Whoever got Hater was going to get the best reliever of the off season. The deal is what it was expected, right? He's got to set some kind of record and, you know, that at least makes sense, right? It's not egregious. It's not 120 million, which is what I thought this might even get up to. So, um, you know, props to the Astros for finally, you know, spending the money and I, yeah i mean i think altuve is going to be their guy next season and i think alex bregman will be a free agent after next year which should uh, make for a really interesting um free agent you know discussion uh you know in 12 months or so yeah that'll be uh that will be interesting to see how that does and the astros did not on top of losing hater you know they did lose hector Neris, and then they lost another guy who we'll talk about here in a little bit and phil maton so they've already taken three hits that are bullpen so signing hater um, there and it allows them to to play the matchup game with Presley and Hader at the back end, um, at least for this next season. Uh, so let's stay in the AL West and jump over to the Angels, who signed a trio of players. Uh, the big one being Rob Robert Stevenson at three years, thirty three million. They brought back Matt Moore uh, on a one year, nine million dollar deal after uh, putting him on waivers last year. And then signing Aaron Hicks to a one-year league minimum deal. Um, he's still being paid from that big Yankees contract, but to be a, uh, a fourth outfielder uh, for them. So Angels make a trio of moves here to uh, to try and upgrade their team. Yeah, these are some interesting ones. The biggest one being Robert Stevenson, who this is one of those upside signings where his track record is pretty mediocre until 2023. When he went to the Rays school of this is how you pitch and was unbelievable for the Rays in 2023, he had a a, a 14 uh, strikeout per nine rate and, and less than two walks per nine for them. 
235 ERA in 38 innings after joining the Rays. Um, that's after having a 514 ERA for Pittsburgh for the for 14 innings. So um, definitely a guy who throws very hard, throws about 97 on average. Um, it's one of those upside signings where you feel like if he can replicate what he did with the Rays last year, whatever he figured out, then this guy could be like a closer type for you. But that's a lot of money to be paying somebody who, for his career, has a 4.64 ERA out of the bullpen, and is uh, you know, he's had a couple of years where he was really rough. I mean, 2022, 58 innings, a lot of them were in cores, but he had a uh, you know, a 5.43 ERA. Um, you know, he's. He's definitely been up and down, but but it is an interesting one. Uh, Matt Moore, uh, he was with the Angels last year, slash the got traded to the uh, or got traded, I believe, to the Cleveland or was he? Yeah. I know he was wavered he, to Miami af- from Cleveland. I think after being wavered, yeah. from yeah. yeah, he was wavered a bunch last year because of money, <laughs> but he's back with that. Well, he's back with the Angels, uh, and he was good for the Angels last year, two sixty six ERA and forty four innings. Uh, Lots of strikeouts, not a lot of walks, um, which, you know, kind of been his issue in his career has been walks. So uh, limiting that was nice. Um, you know, he did give up some home runs, um, but we'll see what happens with the uh, – we'll see what happens with him. I think it's solid. One year, $9 million. It's It's not, you know, it's it's not a super, um, you know, risky move. And then Aaron Hicks, he was really good for Baltimore at times last year. The plate discipline's always been elite. Or the plate you know, walking a lot, not striking out overly uh, too much. Um, I mean, he's not a good defender anymore, uh, but you know he might be something. I mean, you need another bat in their lineup, so you know it's worth it's worth it's he's he's getting paid seven hundred forty thousand dollars, the league minimum. So because the Yankees are still paying him, but uh, definitely one that you know one to watch. I, my I, Robert Stevenson was my favorite free agent target available this offseason so that the angels got him a little bit a little bit odd but that's the second year in a row that's happened because my favorite target last year was carlos estevez so um stevenson's gonna be good it's not even the 98 or 99 that he throws it's the cutter uh that was so dominant last year it's like a 60 percent with pitch um and it's probably the best cutter in baseball right now and that he kind of adapted with the rays and i don't see why he would forget how to throw it by moving to the angels um it's hope you know the the hope is that the angels don't break his pitch sequencing too much and he's able to keep dominating with that cutter uh pounds in against lefties and then you know it'll sweep away against righties and then he can finish people off with that fastball at the top of the zone so because stevenson's uh to me one of the more reliable like for for such a short track record i believe heartily in the changes that have been made um matt moore veteran reliever you know lefty crafty lefty right he's gonna get some some outs for you as that that left-handed guy and uh, Aaron Hicks last year with the Orioles when he shifted over from the Yankees had a 129 WRC plus and a 381 on base percentage in 65 games. Uh, you know, one of the more resurgent midseason changes that I've I can remember in a long time. And you know, if he even keeps, you know, 70% of that change over to the Angels, I mean, that's an in- instant upgrade in their in their lineup from just about anybody they had because they had you know Jared Walsh and some of these other guys that have been since DFA'd. Uh, from the Angels last season. So, uh, you know, obviously old Trouts doesn't have Otani anymore, but he'll have Aaron Hicks running out there with him. So um, <laughs> it's not the same for sure, but Hicks can still be good. That We've seen that last year in Baltimore. Yeah, so if you want to see if the Angels can uh, not break a pitcher for the second year in a row, just ask Tyler Anderson um, <laughs> after what happened last year. 
Yep. Um, so let's jump over to the uh, Chicago White Sox, who signed a reliever, John Brabia, to a one-year, five and a half million dollar deal. Um, also has a mutual option, I think, for another five and a half million dollars. Um, White Sox aren't going to be good this year, most likely, but they get a solid bullpen arm um, that can potentially be flipped at the deadline or something. Oh yeah, this is a deadline flip, and I think yeah. Brebby is probably going to operate as their closer for the first half as well. So he'll have you know, save numbers for your fantasy baseball players. He's probably worth a pickup. Like you know, he, this is a uh, this is a good deal, I think, and he'll probably end up at a contender at you know uh, July. So yeah, they traded away all their other relievers, so they have to have somebody. Yeah, let, and let Liam Hendricks walk in free agency also. Yeah, yeah. and Lopez, and they traded Santa. Like it's like everybody. Yeah. yeah, we'll get to we'll get to the Santos one here in a little bit, um, but let's stay or jump over to the NL Central again, where the Pittsburgh Pirates signed a Roldis Chapman to a one year, ten and a half million dollar deal. Um, this one was really really odd, um, and there's been some stories out there that the Brewers really aggressively pursued Chapman, and that uh, he ended up choosing the Pirates here at the end, which is kind of looking like a smarter decision at this moment. But um, kind of an odd fit in Pittsburgh, but uh, Roldis Chapman's going to be there. Yeah, at least one Chapman decided to sign. No, um, but yeah, I think um, I think this is solid. I mean, the thing about Aroldis Chapman is his velocity was back last year for the most part. Uh, maybe not at its peak of his career, which was like averaging 101, but he was averaging 99 again, up from 97 and a half in 2022. The velocity was back some. He struck out a ton of guys, like just the strikeout rate was incredible. He did walk a lot of guys still though. So there's still some, some issues there. Uh, you know, he got, got a lot more grounders last year too. Wow. Um, he actually ran a career high ground ball rate, I believe. Uh, so, um, you know, he had good numbers, a, a 309 ERA, but a 252 FIP, a 259 X FIP. Um, you know, the, the expected numbers really good. Um, uh, I do, you know, I still worry about him walking guys, but, um, you know, if he can repeat that, it's really solid. Now he is 36, and with his profile, we've seen what happens if his velocity dips. So it was last year kind of that, you know, resurgence for one year where sometimes relievers kind of catch that second wind for a year and then they fall off again, or is it a like real mechanical changes that he can that stick for for a few years where he can be a, a really good price at, at one year, ten million dollars? Think that's pretty similar to the Kimbrel number, right? Yeah, 13 was 13. Yeah. Yeah. So he's just a little bit under Kimbrel. So, I mean, that, that's about right for him, I think. And uh, it is weird the Pirates were the team he chose. I don't, I don't know exactly, you know, what his market looked like. Um, but, uh, you know, the Pirates obviously pairing him with Bednar, they've got like the best back end of the bullpen in baseball just about now. So <laughs> I got two, two really good ones there. But, um, but yeah, I, I think it's definitely a, you know, fine signing for the Pirates. And, I mean, Aroldis Chapman, if it, if, it, if the Pirates season is bad, then he can go, you know, somewhere at the deadline again. Yeah, the the other left-handed options in the Pirates bullpen were Ryan Barucki, Cubs legend, by the way, and Jose Hernandez. So, yeah, I mean, they, they were in bad need of a some kind of set-up left-handed reliever, and they kind of go out and went, <laughs> went and got maybe the most effective one uh, from last season. Um, you know, Chapman was really good. You know, last year with, with a lot of locks, and uh, the question is, can he keep it up without, you know, without the control? I mean, he he's gonna we'll put a lot of guys on base. Bednar might have to put out some fires, but um, you know, the Pirates have shown a willingness to 
spend on one year guys and flip them at the deadline and you know kind of cycle that and I'm willing to bet they're going to continue that that philosophy here and if the pirates are out of it at the deadline they'll be able to flip Chapman and if they're in it via you know they're strong back into their bullpen then he stays and it's a pretty reasonable one year deal but um, yeah I mean this is a, another guy similar to Hader maybe on a kind of a hall of fame type of trajectory that um, you know he's going to need to get some some looks as the closer you'd think and um, you know maybe after the after the last season where he won a ring as the setup guy, that might be kind of in the rearview mirror for him. So, you know, obviously less than Craig Kimbrell makes some sense given that he won't be closing, but, um, you know, a healthy, a healthy number for a 36 year old, uh, reliever whose primary weapon is velocity that could potentially decline like Matt said. So, um, you know, we'll see how this one goes, but, uh, you know, as it's, it's pretty minimally risky for even a 10 year or a $10 million deal for that one year. As, you know, as minimal as that can be. Uh, just real quick off the top, who would you rather have on their contract? Matt Moore at one year 10 or Roldis Chapman at one year 10 and a half? Roldis Chapman. <sighs> Upside way it. higher. Roldis, yeah. If if Moore was like seven, then it's probably more for the yeah. value. But yeah, I'd rather have a Roldis when they're so close. Yeah, I mean, that's what I'm getting at here. It's just the, the value here yeah. for Roldis could be, could pay off big time. Um, so let's transition over to those deferring Dodgers, uh, signing James Paxton to a one-year $7 million deal that can max out at 13 um, with game-started bonuses, uh, and also re-signing Ryan Brazier to a two-year $9 million deal that can max out at two years $13 million deal. Um, and they also traded Caleb Ferguson to the Yankees um, for a back or quadruple-A pitcher and a guy from the DSL. Yeah, uh, James Paxton. I, 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 I just about died laughing when I saw the how much money or how much of his contract percentage wise was in game started bonuses. <laughs> that's kind of like that. That's like his his issue. I mean, since 2019, he has started five games in 2020, zero uh, one game in 2021, zero in 2022, and 19 in 2023. Uh, so he's missed pretty much three seasons and then he came back in 2023 he was okay he pitched 96 innings which was nice to see him pitch a, a decent amount of innings uh compared to the last few years um and he had a you know 450 era he was kind of bit by the home run bug a little bit in boston uh you know a 468 fit but a 398 x fit i think he still can be a pretty solid pitcher his velocity was actually back to what it was when he was really good for the mariners or, or it was at least close to that it had been really down in 2020 uh, before his injury bug started. And he's always been a guy that's had the injury bug. I mean, even back with Seattle when he was in his, his peak, like his peak innings pitch was 160. So this is a guy you're not going to be able to get a ton of innings out of him. He's dealt with a lot of injury. There's still a little bit of upside there as, as you know, his stuff still plays pretty well. He had a lot of strikeouts, not a lot of walks uh, last year. So uh, definitely a guy to look out for for the Dodgers. They needed depth, and this is just kind of another option. Uh, they're at the point to where, like, you know, getting getting options, you know, in case one of their young guys doesn't work out or something. If if Paxton gets hurt, then one of those couple of young guys can jump in, and if he doesn't pitch well, one of them can jump in. Or if one of them doesn't pitch well, then you know you've got a, a veteran presence there. So uh, definitely think this is a fine deal. Uh, and then Ryan Brazier, uh, you know, I think he's. 
you know, he was pretty good last year. He's actually really good last year for the most part. Uh, in in uh, especially with the Dodgers, we had an 07 ER 070 ERA. Um, but uh, you know, for his career, I mean, he's been a fine middle reliever most of his career. Um, but you know, the Dodgers obviously found something in him last year. Um, you know, limiting hard contact mainly, and his velocity skyrocketed after he got to Los Angeles last year. So I think that, uh, you know, that's a solid signing to bring him back. I mean, it's pretty cheap deal. So uh, definitely, definitely fine there. Yeah. So yeah, Ryan Brazier, I think he went to where he had the most success. Right. And I think yeah. that's a, a wise move by Brazier. And I think that they've got the escalators in there. The deal as a, as a whole is pretty palatable for a 36 year old reliever it's a lot cheaper than the one we just talked about with the world chapman per season but it's the two-year deal dodgers feel like they can get the most out of him good good on both sides there the question for me you know, matt hit on all the negative potentials for james paxton is do the dodgers get 30 starts out of a tandem of glass now and paxton yes well yeah you would say yes i, I would think so <laughs> I think they're right. going to get 25 to 28 starts from Glass now. Yeah, uh, it, that's that's the question. Is I, to me, if you can get, you know, if you can fill that second that second rotation spot with at least 30 to 33 starts from these two guys, right? And and these are two guys that have had the injury bug bite them a lot in the past. Then I think the Dodgers are golden here. Paxton's a perfectly solid, you know, middle starting pitcher that gives you that upside and you know he'll he'll give it to you in 10 to 20 starts somewhere in there but that should be perfectly reasonable for the price the Dodgers are paying and the situation the Dodgers are in here yeah what th- I was gonna say one thing that I found find interesting with Paxton is I think his stuff would play pretty well in the bullpen if if it came to that I don't know if Damian has any idea if the, if the Dodgers are considering you know or I don't even have Paxton no. consider going to the bullpen but I, I don't think they're going to consider using him in the bullpen I the the real thing that Los Angeles is going to do this year is they're going to go into an impromptu six man rotation um, to help Yamamoto yeah. come over to the major league um, you know way of playing the game. So you're going to start Bueller a little bit late. So basically, they're still obviously going to they're even still in uh, conversations with Kershaw, which that'll be deal here in a little bit. Um, but they're going to have you know Sheehan. You're going to have Grove. You still have. Um, Gavin Stone, you're going to have Paxton, you got Bobby Miller, Bueller, Glass now, Yamamoto. I mean, they still have a ton of guys that, um, they're basically just going to do mix and match at this moment with the, with the starting rotation. The bullpen, I think, is pretty much shed, especially bringing Brazier back. I think there's about, if you're running an eight man bullpen, I think there's three or four guys that could be major league level bullpen arms that you're leaving out. Um, for the Dodgers right now. So I don't think Paxton will be, but it is interesting that right now the only, oh, I didn't even mention Ryan Yarborough, who could be a swing guy, kind of fifth starter for them too. Um, the only lefty they really have in their bullpen after trading Caleb Ferguson today is Alex Vesia. But I think they're going to go with the not really needing a lefty and just get good pe- good pitchers that get lefties out. Like Ryan Brazier, after he came over to the Dodgers last year, they ditched his changeup and added a cutter to it. And he like cutter was like 181 batting average against and lefties were like batting average, like 120 against. 
um, and like a 280 slugging or something like that. So I don't think they're going to go specifically with lefties. I just think they're going to go with people who are just good against specific handedness and go that way. Um, yeah. So, and the Paxton deal was originally reported at $11 million and there was medical issues that came up in that. That's why it's down to seven now with the incentives on games bonus uh, up That's to true. 13. It was only going to be 2 million in game start bonuses. So. I just want to point out that's the second smart team that's added a cutter to an existingly pretty mediocre pitcher and turned them into a good pitcher. Yep. So that might be a thing going forward is, you know, pitchers adding cutters. Mark Pryor, Pitching Lab, Reign Supreme. Um, so let's go to a guy who got better on the Dodgers to a guy who got worse on the Dodgers, and that is Joey Gallo. And oh. he signed with the Washington Nationals on a one-year $5 million deal. Yeah, I was gonna say Joey Gallo is pretty bad everywhere, but well, that's true. Um, <laughs> nowadays, yeah, but I mean, he's had a career high strikeout rate, and this is a guy who like it's pretty impressive. Yeah, he struck out forty three percent of the time in twenty twenty three for the Twins and three hundred thirty two plate appearances. So it's not like one of those like ten game sample sizes because he got hurt or something. He struck out forty three percent of the time. Um, I mean, he still put up a league average stat line, a 104 WRC plus, but for a guy who at this stage is really a, I mean, he's bare, he can, he's not really playing the outfield anymore to a, at least to a high level. Um, you know, he's, he's okay out there. He's not like a gold glove caliber because of the arm, you know, he used to with the arm that he had and stuff. He was close to the gold glove caliber, put playing him in left field, but now he's, he's just kind of like mediocre there. Like you're, if you're a guy who's kind of a corner outfield DH type that's got a 104 WRC plus, that's not very good. Um, so I don't know if the Nationals think that maybe they can make him strike out less somehow, which there's been five different teams, including two of the best at that, that have not been successful with it. So, uh, I mean, I don't, I don't know. I mean, it's $5 million. It's not that big of a deal. It's low risk. The Nationals could flip him if he does pretty well. Yeah. You know, it's it's just, you know. That's all I did. Buy, yeah. low, buy low, hope you get boom, and flip at the deadline for something. That's what it seems like. Yeah. There's, I mean, there's no risk here for the Nats, but you're hoping Gallo comes back, certainly, as a, as, as a baseball fan, right? I mean, like, I, I would love to see, you know, him mash 40 homers for the Nats in a, you know, surprise comeback type of year. That would be fun. Uh, I don't think it's going to happen, but it would be fun. Uh, so let's jump over to the Milwaukee Brewers now, where they signed Reese Hoskins to a two-year, $34 million deal that does have a player opt-out after year one. Yeah, so um, this is interesting, especially after we find you know talk a little while about what happened later. But um, yeah, I, I think this is an interesting uh, an interesting signing. The Brewers last year were pretty pitching heavy, and they were terrible in offense. And that, and really, honestly, they were more run prevention heavy because their pitching was good, but like their defense was really good too. That was kind of their calling card was we're you know going to play really play to our defense, play really good defense, pitch well, uh, and the offense was not there. But you know they've they've kind of got a sneaky amount of upside offensively this year. You know William Contreras was really good at uh, uh, hitting last year behind the plate. Um, you know, you still got Christian Yelich, who was good last year. Um, you know, and then you've got a bunch of young guys, Jackson Shurio coming up, uh, you know, Sal Freelick, Joey Weimer. You've got some of these young guys who haven't 
really completely gotten their footing yet, but they have some upside. They were all kind of top 100, top 50 prospect types. So, um, you know, I think they're kind of moving into a phase where they're flipping their team a little bit to where it's more of, you know, we're going we're gonna to see if we can score some runs this year. And I think Reese Hoskins helps with that. He adds a veteran to their lineup. He's, he's He seems like he's a pretty good clubhouse leader, or he has in the past seemed that way. Um, you know, he's a pretty good player. He's actually really consistently a kind of what you're looking for in, in, in somebody like him. He puts up between two and two and a half wins above replacement every year while being a really above average hitter, uh, you know, and but but playing, you know, either no defense or bad defense. So, um, you know, he's kind of your Carlos Santana replacement. Um, and he's, um, you know, I, I think it's solid. The only thing about it is that, you know, there's just downside for year two. $17 million is a lot of money for the Brewers to pay one player. And if, if Reese Hoskins doesn't have a great year, you're going to have a lot of dead money year two that you're, you know, for, or, and, and I know it's not a very long term, but for the Brewers, every year you pay in $17 million, somebody's a big deal. So, uh, you know, that's the one downside of it, with that player option. But I, I think it's a, a, a guy that could help them. Yeah, that, my, my one concern with Reese Hoskins the whole way through this free agent process was he hasn't played competitive baseball in 18 months. So you do want to see whether he's still got the juice, whether he's the same level. Uh, the the one-year kind of high annual average value type deal Cody Bellinger got last year makes a lot of sense here. Brewers are the team that gave it to him. Makes a lot of sense because they needed a first baseman given the loss of, of Carlos Santana, like Matt said. I mean, this is just this was kind of an obvious fit. Uh, it was just always a question of whether the Brewers were going to try to spend when in a year it seemed like they were kind of selling pieces off. So uh, we'll talk about that in a little bit. But, you know, the, the, the weird part is where this is going to fit in if the team gets worse pitching wise, which it seems like it will. Um, yeah, after their moves, which one we'll talk about here, it's not hard to see they're going to be pretty bad pitching-wise. But um, let's jump over to the Arizona Diamondbacks now who were in need of looking for a DH, and they found one in Jock Peterson on a one-year $9.5 million deal that has a $14 million mutual option uh, with a $3 million buyout. So uh, Jock Peterson heads to Arizona, and I think it's safe to say that the Diamondbacks will not be re-signing Tommy Pham. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. That uh, Jock Peterson, you know what you're getting with him. I mean, he's a really good clubhouse guy. Um, he has been for every team he's played for. Uh, everyone likes him, and he's a guy that's gonna put up. Um, you know, he's gonna hit righties really, really well. He's not gonna hit lefties at all. Like you're just not gonna play him against lefties, but he's gonna hit righties really well, and he's gonna be a DH. He's not gonna play defense anymore. So. Uh, he's a, you know, he's a very useful player for a team that's in a, in the, you know, position the Diamondbacks are in and he adds another tool to them, to their, to their, uh, tool shed. And I, I think he's, I mean, I, I think he's a good signing for them. It's not overly expensive. Um, you know, and, and I think it was, I think it'll work out for him. We, we saw last year that in the world series, the Diamondbacks just were kind of lacking that, that threat to, to go yard. In the, you know, in the World Series, they didn't have anybody who could kind of change the game with one swing. And, and Jock Peterson is that kind of guy. And uh, obviously with the, the play discipline there and the veteran leadership and the performance in October, he's he's a guy that you can definitely pencil into their 
their lineup as they try to go for a, you know another World Series berth this year. And you know, obviously, I don't I don't know that the Diamondbacks are going to be anybody's favorite to go back to the World Series, but they weren't anybody's favorite to go back to the World Series last year. So, um, you know, J- October is entirely possible moving forward, and uh, you know, they're they're that's definitely a team that got better you know, after last season, I think this is definitely a better Diamondbacks roster uh, than the one that finished last season. So we'll, uh, we'll see whether they can, they can obviously probably won't catch the Dodgers, but uh, can they weasel their way into a wild card spot? We'll talk about that in a couple of weeks, but I, I'm pretty confident. I like the Diamondbacks this year. Yeah. They're a team that really broke out this last year and it's going to be interesting to see how they, uh, you know, they've spent some money here, signing in water Rodriguez, Rupert, bringing back Loris Gurriel, bringing in Jock Peterson. Um, you know, it's going to be interesting Pretty to see. Hanya. Oh yeah, I forgot to trade for Ian Ian Suarez. So it's gonna be interesting to see how they uh they bounce back here and, and have another year where they're uh not gonna be quite the underdog as much anymore. Uh so let's jump over to the defending World Series champions in the Texas Rangers. And that's that they signed David Robertson to a one year eleven and a half million dollar deal. Oh. Yeah. yeah, it was no secret that the Rangers bullpen was a mess last year. And um they, even though they won the World Series and they badly needed impact relievers this offseason, and David Robertson, while he's been really good the last two years, I mean, but he's he's outperformed his metrics considerably the last two years as well. He's 39 years old, but he's an impact reliever. I, I think he'll be solid for them. Uh, you know, I, I think he's kind of in that same price point as we were talking about with Chapman and Kimbrell. Um, and I mean, he's kind of a wash with Kimbrel for me. I mean, he's real similar and he, pay, I think he's getting paid basically the same thing. So, um, maybe like $1 million less or something. So, I mean, I think it's a fine signing, um, veteran reliever. If it doesn't work, then he, you know, it's just one year. I, I think it's, I think it's perfectly fine. David Robertson did not like. Uh, getting traded to the Marlins, supposedly. He was not real happy about that. So he wants to, you know, I think he his, his one of his hey. big categories was staying on a on a team for the whole season. He'll be on the Rangers the hey, whole year, I poor, think. Poor guy got traded from a non-contender in the Mets to a contender in the Marlins last year or so. Yeah, I think he wanted to stay where he signed, though. Yeah, he's, exactly. he's his own agent. Yeah. He, he understood getting traded from the Cubs to the Phillies. Um, a couple of years back, but but I think he didn't want to do that again. And then he got traded this last offseason because he thought he was signing with a contender in the Mets. Uh, he he didn't want to do that again. So I think uh, you know the, we've also heard the Rangers are struggling with money, and they really haven't done anything else besides this move. So you know we everyone's kind of waiting to see if maybe Jordan Montgomery will resign with the Rangers. But the Rangers' money situation isn't ironed out yet, and they then they went and spent eleven million dollars on a on a thirty nine year old reliever. So. You know, I that much I question. Like, you know, if you could if you could cobble up eleven million, why couldn't you cobble up twenty five a year to get Montgomery back and deal with the bullpen later, like you did this last season? But hey, you know, <laughs> it's they won a World Series. They can operate however they want right now. They're they're riding high. Yeah, and I mean Robertson brings a bunch of postseason experience too. Um, yeah, to to that bullpen where you know you had Josh Bores and then stuff. There, that was his first postseason where he had it was solid, but he brings a guy that's veteran presence and been there, done that before. So, um, let's jump over to Dave Robertson's old team in the New York Mets, and that's that they signed or re-signed Adam Modavino on a one-year, four and a half million dollar contract, and then they signed Shintaro Fujinami to a one-year, three point three five million dollar contract to also be in their bullpen. Yeah, so Adam Modavino, um, 
is interesting. It's very little money, but he was uh, has a good track record. He was really good in 2022 for the Mets, but last year he kind of looked cooked. He was his velocity dropped over one mile an hour on average. Strikeout rate was way down. Walk rate was way up. He's 38 years old this year. I'll be kind of surprised if he if he's a, if he's successful this year, but you never know. I mean, he's he's lost it and refound it several times in his past. Um, but uh, so I, I mean, it's probably worth a four million dollar gamble that he fig- finds it. And Shintaro Fujinami's he's such a weird pitcher. Like I think I, someone described it as he's the best bad pitcher we've ever seen. Like he he had a seven ERA last year, and it, with he was I, was I liked the signing last year for the A's because the, you know the, I knew the A's were going to be bad, and they you know got somebody that throws extremely hard and has good stuff as upside see if they can figure it out i don't know why for the life of me they botched it by trying to start him uh in the rotation he's obviously a reliever and he ended up going to the bullpen and baltimore uh he trade got traded to baltimore and he was better there but he was he still wasn't very good so uh we'll see what happens his command leaves a lot to be desired and maybe he'll figure it out um, he still does have really good stuff. I mean, he his fastball velocity averaged 99 miles an hour last year, just about or 98 and a half. So, I mean, he's got he throws hard. He's got a good splitter. I mean, he he's a guy that to, to watch out for on this short, you know, this low money deal. But this also could just be, I mean, it could be completely meaningless too. So, my my question here, I'll I got nothing to say other than what Matt said. But my question here is: Is the Mets offseason, which consists of Luis Severino, Sean Mania? Adrian Hauser via trade, Jake Diekman, Shintaro Fujinami, Jorge Lopez, and re-signing Adam Onovino. Is that the most completely useless pitching offseason <laughs> that you've ever heard of? Because I don't, I don't know that anybody's going to be like particularly solid there. Like, is Sean Manaya the best option that, that that they even signed? Like, I, I think Severino might be cooked. Like, I, yeah. I just, yikes, man! They, they have done a whole lot of nothing. Yeah. Listen, David Stearns finds ways. That's going to be a lot of things. You're going to see a yeah. lot of these deals now. And David Stearns is that he's going to have to be the person to turn around the Mets track record of being very bad at these type of deals. Yeah. Um, I do wonder, I do wonder if the Mets swoop in on one of those Boris guys at the last minute, just because they, I don't, I don't know. It don't seems like so. Colin right now either, wants but... to not spend money as yeah. much. They um, would have already gotten in on Chapman. They don't, they don't, trust yeah. Beatty, i don't think but yeah. they, they probably haven't found anybody to trade him and then yeah. at that point you just keep Beatty. that and i think they're just trying to load up for next year where you have Bregman, you have potentially soto like they're trying to do right. that at this moment um but let's go to fujinami's old team in the oakland a's and that's they acquired a couple of former giants from right across the bay in alex wood to a one-year eight and a half million dollar deal and then they made a trade with the giants to acquire ross stripling for infield outfielder Jonah Cox going to San Francisco. Look at the A spending money. Mm, Got him yep. go. Um, I mean, Alex Wood is the best pitcher on their team. Uh, yep. So I don't. I don't know. Maybe. Maybe, <laughs> maybe one Paul of the Blackburn. young guys. Yeah, Paul. Ba- Paul Blackburn is probably on the same tier as him at this stage. Um, mm-hmm. You know, and I mean, they've got some young pitchers that have come up and bounced up and down. I'm sure one or two of them will eventually figure it out. I mean, they were pretty high rated prospects. You've got, you know, Kyle Muller was a pretty good prospect coming up. You have, uh, 
Waldachuk and yeah. and Mason uh, Miller. Mason, well, Mason Miller's uh, I think going to be in their bullpen now. But, yeah, they're going to use Miller as uh, a closer. Yeah, so I mean he's the best pitcher on their team, but he's going to be right. in their bullpen. So, but yeah, I mean I think that I think that you know Alex Wood. He had a 4.33 ERA last year. He only pitched 97 innings. He was actually pitched a lot of the bullpen, which he's always hated pitching out of the bullpen. Yeah. Um. So I, I I'm not surprised his numbers weren't great. You know, in the past when he's pitched in the rotation, his numbers have been pretty good for the most part. He's just dealt with injuries at times. And then Ross Stripling, it's kind of the same way. He didn't want to pitch out of the bullpen. Um, you know, and he was really good pitching out of the rotation in 2022, 301 ERA in 134 innings. And then 2023, he's pitching out of the bullpen about half the time and just not great. So, you know, this is an opportunity for both of those guys to go somewhere they can start and, you know, maybe rebuild some value to get traded. And, I mean, you know, get a guaranteed big league rotation spot where they probably weren't getting that anywhere else. So definitely fine. Uh, Jonah Cox, I don't know really anything about him at all. So um, he's a low you know, guy. Yeah. I was going to say he's a low he's minors. Yeah. yeah. So not much there. 2018, 2018 Dodgers stuff going on here. That's all I yeah. got to say. <laughs> um, they'll be, they'll be perfectly They'll be perfectly fine as Oakland A's pitchers. They'll be great, even because they won't be uh, horrible, probably. But <laughs> yep. this team is bad. It is still bad. These are these oh. are prototypical two guys that could get flipped at the deadline very easily, very very easily. They could be flipped at the deadline. So, um, that's pretty much all to say as far as that goes. Uh, so let's jump over to the Detroit Tigers. We talked about the the Royals making a big extension. Uh, this isn't to the same level magnitude as the Bobby Witt extension, but um, still signing a a prospect, Colt Keith, to a six year, twenty eight million dollar deal through twenty twenty nine that has club options for twenty thirty two through twenty thirty two for ten million, thirteen million, and fifteen million. Um, total basically if all of the club options are picked up is nine years for $66 million. And there's another 15 million of escalators that we don't quite know what exactly that is, but, um, Detroit is, you know, committing some, some money to a young prospect right now. And, uh, we'll see how that turns out. Yeah, this is interesting. I mean, Colt Keith as a prospect, he's a guy that he's, he's got really good power, raw power, uh, and he makes a pretty good amount of contact. His hit tools is decent. You know, he's not going to do very much at, at, in the field. I mean, he's, he's pretty, pretty porous defensively and he's not a great, you know, athlete speed wise. Um, I think he's going to try to play second base, maybe third yeah. base, second uh, base but what, what second said. base. Yeah. So, I mean, he had good numbers in triple a last year in 67 games had a 119 WRC plus, uh, the plate discipline numbers were really solid for, for triple a. He's only 21 years old, uh, 22. He'll be 22 this year. I mean, me and David had a discussion about, about him on, uh, you know, in our, in our messages. And he was, I was kind of down on it because it's one of those things where it's, you know, he still hasn't made his big league debut yet. And how many times have we seen a guy that was kind of a similar profile to him end up not doing much at all at the big league level. And then you're just kind of throwing away money. I mean, but there's a, there's examples of it working away, both working both ways. You've got Evan white, who was a high rated prospect for the Mariners who, you know, it ended up being a lot of dead money. You ended up with, uh, you know, Scott Kingry, the Phillies did th- this with him. He ended up being, 
a dead money and then you but you've got other guys where it's been a big time success story so uh it's definitely a little bit risky but um you know you you buy out basically three years of free agency i believe with this with the Um, club options yeah well, with the club yep. options, so you know if you can get him, if if he if he ends up being a, a really solid player, ten million, thirteen million, fifteen million, and those years where I'm sure player salaries will continue to go up, that that'll be a pretty solid deal. Uh, if he's not just a total bust, so I, I at the end of the day, I do kind of like it, um, although I'm a little bit more measured with it than than I think some people are. Yeah, no, I, I like this deal. Like like Matt said, I think we disagreed on it, but Colt Keith say. And we've shown that, that second base is a spot that a lot of guys can kind of handle without, you know, a ton of athleticism and, and stuff. Yeah. Like, you can you can hide it a little bit at second base. And even if you're not amazing, like, Javi Baez is still a good defensive shortstop there. He can kind of carry the water for that middle infield defense, uh, even if he's a little off in the offensive side of the ball. But, you know, I, I like the deal in terms of a, you know, you get those club options to kind of, you know, give Colt Keith that, that big money instead of that free agency that he'd otherwise be reaching if he does succeed. And, uh, you know, with, with a bat first profile, you feel a lot better about him hitting. Detroit's been notoriously bad about their prospects coming up and struggling immediately. A little worried about that, but Cole Key's so young. Like, he, he'll hit free agency if all this is said and done at 31 or 32. Like, you can still you can still get a payday after all that. So, you know. Slam dunk for Colt Keith and the Tiger. If, if this guy does end up being like a top twenty-five prospect, like a really good player, the Tigers buy out a bunch of years of free agency for real cheap. Like, and they guarantee. You know, this is a this is I think a good way to go if, if the player is willing. Like, you guarantee your your salary. You don't have to go fight for arbitration. You might get underpaid a little bit, but you also might get overpaid a little bit. And and it's all it's all a, a big bonus to the player for that guaranteed life-changing money. So I think that's what Colt Keith said, even like he was like, Hey, I get paid now. And yeah, it's going to sacrifice me a few years down the road, but I'd much rather have, you know, a, a generational you know wealth for my family for now, than you know, bother with waiting and, and maybe, yep. or maybe not getting paid in the future. So I think it's a, it's a really good deal for Colt Keith. And I don't think this is an enormous risk for the tigers because this is a pretty, this is a prospect I feel pretty good about. I think this guy's going to have success. Yeah, to me, the only, the thing I like about it is that you lock in six years at a four point six luxury tax salary, like AAV number. Like that's really affordable there. And if it doesn't work out, then it's not much to move off of. I mean, it's twenty eight total million dollars here. Um, I mean, what? How much do they put to uh, to Kenta Maeda this year? It's like the same amount they're paying him, pretty much for two or three years. Like it's really not that much here, um, and it locks in low AAV numbers. Um, so, you know, backup level money pretty much. So I, I don't hate that. And then, you know, like you said, if, if the, the club options, if he does end up panning out, you're getting him for cheaper than, than what market value would be in year two, three of arbitration and three free agency years, most likely. So nine years of control for a 21 year old, like yeah. teams love that. <laughs> and it gives them incentive to start him at, on, uh, on the opening day roster too. Yeah, so you can get bonuses excited about that. that. Right. And stuff. So, uh, let's jump over to the San Diego Padres, and they signed left-handed reliever Wandy Peralta to a four-year, sixteen and a half million dollar contract. That uh, I don't think I've ever seen this one before. That has an opt-out after every single season. Yeah, I don't understand. That that, that is a really weird one uh, with the opt-outs. But um, I mean, you know, Wandy Peralta's fine. I mean. He's had a couple of good years in there. Um, 
this last year, his ERA was really good, but his peripherals were horrible. He actually put up negative point five four last year. Uh, twenty twenty two, he was actually pretty good. Um, you know, last year he walked a ton of guys. His stuff's pretty good. He, he throws, you know, he averages you know, 95, 96. I believe he's, I believe he's from the left side, isn't it? Yeah. Yes. Yes. yes he so, is. you know, he's got good, pretty good stuff. And um, I don't know. I mean, you know, the Padres just badly need relievers, and they've got there's some form of upside here. And of course, if the upside doesn't hit, then he can just opt in every year and get four million dollars to be mediocre. But you know. I guess the Padres are still kind of trying this year. So, you know, getting a guy with some upside, even if he does opt out after this year, is probably going to help them some. But definitely a weird one. Yeah, I, I don't I don't know. This one doesn't make any sense to me. For the, but, but the opt-outs after every year do make sense. And, you know, I guess just getting that chance to re-up a four-year or a one-year $4 million deal for a, you know, middle left-handed reliever, it's fine, I guess. It's, it's not special. It's... A little weird looking on on the on the sheet, but he'll fit in the middle innings. He's he's gonna get lefties out. It'll be it'll be somewhat successful, I suppose. Yeah, I don't know why the Padres just didn't spend this money on like an outfielder or or something there yeah. instead of just doing it to another reliever after they've already signed what three relievers plus traded for uh, De Los Santos. So there, uh, kind of weird one there, but. Uh, let's jump over to the Minnesota Twins now, where they sign Carlos Santana to a one-year, five-point-two-five million-dollar deal. Yeah, I know Carlos Santana was one of the best remaining bats. Like he was pretty good yeah. against fastballs last year. He he actually still hits the ball pretty good. Like this is underwhelming, I'm sure, for Twins fans to some degree. But this is your Joey Gallo replacement, and this guy's going to provide a lot better play discipline. He's going to hit the ball pretty good. Like, I, this is fine, right? If 5.5 5. 5 million, like, I'd much rather spend this, spend it on this than Joey Gallo, I think. So, you know, Santana's, Santana's rock solid. He's he's genuinely better, I think, than than anybody kind of thinks of him. And yep. he's he's going to get on the Hall of Fame ballot in a few years, and everybody's going to go, oh, yeah, he was pretty good. And and that'll be it. But that's what he'll get, I think. He's been, he's been around forever. And he's yeah. a major clubhouse guy. Yeah. Big time. He's yeah. This is this. I really like. I really like it for the twins. Just getting that clubhouse guy. He's gonna hit some. I mean, everything David said. I I, I agree. I, yeah. It's not not very expensive. It's, it's a good deal. Yeah, solid deal. Uh, so let's jump over to the Tampa Bay Rays, where they signed Phil Maton to a one-year, six and a half million dollar deal that has a club option for seven and a half million dollars. Um. So here's the deal. He signed with the Rays, and he's a reliever. So, <laughs> and he was already um, good with the Astros. He was already pretty good. He's one of the ones that was already yeah. pretty good. But um, I guess he, he his profile kind of fits a little bit similar to Colin McHugh, uh, who the Rays had a lot of success with a few years ago. Um, you know, doesn't throw very hard. Has good breaking stuff. Um, you know, surprisingly good at getting strikeouts for for how he doesn't throw hard. Um, I mean, the Rays are going to find a way to make him, like, really, really good still. So I think he's think it's a good signing for them. The Cardinals allegedly wouldn't go above $5.5 million for Phil Maton. Car- Rays get him for, what, 6 and, a half? and yes. then the Cardinals went and signed Kent and Keenan Middleton. Yeah, for right? six. So, for, yeah, so it's like, why didn't why didn't you just sign Phil Maton? I, I, I like Phil Maton a lot more. Um, 
Yeah, I mean everything Matt said, right? And the car, the thing about the the rays is they like to get a bunch of different arm angles. Phil Phil Maton's gonna fill one of those like softer tossing righties that's gonna throw a lot of. It's a different look out of their bullpen, and and the rays like to to diversify their looks. So it's not a direct Robert Stevenson replacement, I don't think, but he'll do some different things that some of the other guys in their bullpen are not going to do. And I, I think that's what makes him unique in this scenario. And obviously with the Rays, we believe they're definitely going to, to make the best out of Phil Maton. Yeah. I think there's some rumblings that maybe he's going to be like a Jason Adam replacement type guy. They might look to move off that, but uh, we'll see how that ends up working out. All right. So we are an hour and 11 minutes in, and that is just the free agency portion of what we have to talk about here. So let's jump over to the trades real quick. Uh, start with one between the Cubs and Dodgers, David. I know you're going to hey. love this one a lot. And that is that the Cubs acquire uh, relief pitcher Yancy Almonte and infielder Michael Bush from the Dodgers. And the Dodgers get back two prospects, outfielders a year hope and left-handed pitcher Jackson Ferris. So, yeah, this deal dropped and it dropped slowly because the Cubs <laughs> and the Dodgers are mute and don't tell anybody anything. So um, this was this was very fun. And these are the kind of days you live for as a fan where you get a, you end up getting a good player and you wait for the return and now oh, it's somebody you didn't really want to give up. But at the end of the day, right, this deal could be a bad deal in five years for the Cubs. And it could be a really good deal this year. If Michael Bush comes in and, and plays well, right. I mean, this is a guy who's blocked by Freddie Freeman, blocked by Mookie Betts, blocked by Max Muncy on the infield. Like he can't play any spots for the Dodgers. And he's blocked by Shoei Otani at DH. Yeah. Like he's not going, he's not going to play for the Dodgers. And so, you know, the Cubs are going for a a first baseman. The rumor was they were going after Reese Hoskins, but they've made this move. And I think it's more of a, a first base type move than a third base or or DH type move. They're just trying to grab some corner infield bats. Um, They have said that Bush will spend some time at third base. He's not really a third baseman. I don't think, but maybe he can play there a few years. Mm -hmm until the athleticism kind of starts to decline a little bit, but you know, with Dansby Swanson next to him, he ought to be able to handle it. And, and I just, I really, I'm really excited about Michael Bush. I was on him in the 2019 draft. Felt like he should have been the Cubs pick and they picked Ryan Jensen and Ryan Jensen is not with the Cubs anymore. And Michael Bush, they've, they've righted the wrong, I think finally. And that's really exciting. It's the good. Uh, Jackson Ferris is, a, is the, the, the key prospect here. He's a lefty pitcher. He's like number eight on Pipeline's top lefty pitchers in the prospects. He's just outside the top 100. The big thing about Jackson Ferris is that he might have control issues as he works his way up. He's in a big pitcher's park in Myrtle Beach this year. Um, I, I think he he might be a bullpen guy, but he'll be a nasty bullpen guy if he does you know, iron out. He's just so far away. He's three or four years from even sniffing the major leagues and Michael Bush is pro ready. The Cubs are just like took a, you know, maybe a future top 50 prospect and turning him into a current day top 50 prospect. And that's, that's, a, that's to my book, a good deal when you're trying to get ready to win. So the Cubs are better and off the, on this trade in the, the 2024, you know, team. And that's, what's really important. And I'm really, really excited about Michael Bush, man. I really hope he pans out because if he does, you know, that's a Jersey right there. I mean, he's, he's an awesome dude. Yeah. Yeah, I'll just throw a quick opinion here. This is a cool trade for the Dodgers and the Cubs because the Cubs want guys who are major league ready, but you know are still young prospects. They could kind of come up with with some of their young guys they've got in their farm system right now. And the Dodgers are like these guys are blocked. We need younger guys so that you know eventually we'll have you know we can just double our you know investment here and and we can also clear forty man spots. So uh, I think it's a cool trade, Michael Bush. I, I really I think that. 
he needed he needs a spot where he can basically DH. I, I think, but uh, if he's able to do that with the Cubs, then I mean, I, I think he's got a lot of potential with his bat. Um, you know, in Triple A last year, he was really really good. Now the Dodgers Triple A uh, ballpark and just that that Pacific Coast League in general is extremely hitter friendly. But um, you know he. You know, he, he he did play a little bit in the big leagues and didn't do a whole lot, but he's he's he is a very good offensive prospect. Uh, I think he'll do sol- I think he'll be solid. Zips likes him for a 112 WRC plus this year, which is really solid uh, for a for a rookie. So um, you know, I think it's a I think it's a you know good trade for both ends really. Yeah. So this trade initially dropped as like Yancy Almonte is being traded to the Cubs, and then it was like, hey, Michael Bush is being traded as well, and. At that moment, I didn't love it um, because I really wanted the the Dodgers to use Michael Bush as a trade piece to get another starting pitcher. Because at this point, we hadn't signed James Paxton yet. Um, I don't even think the Teoscar deal had happened. Oh no, it had happened already. Um, but I just I thought they should try and move Bush for a major league ready pitcher. Um, and then we saw what the return was. I didn't love it at first. David kind of talked me into to Ferris more. Um, and then, you know, hope is he's solid and, and it, you'll see what they all end up turning out to be. Um, but the only thing that I really want to happen is sometime this spring training, Jackson Ferris has to start a game and then we have to bring Walker Bueller out of the bullpen. That has to happen. Yep. So it's Ferris Bueller. So exactly. it's Ferris to Bueller. That needs to happen at least once. I don't care if Bueller's not potentially ready. Like, make <laughs> it happen some way. Um, <laughs> Anyways, that's, this is hard hitting baseball analysis. It's hard hitting baseball analysis right here. Right? We're we're yeah. running off the crazy train here, um, but no, I think Michael Bush will do will do fantastic. I think he just needed an opportunity. He obviously wasn't going to get that there. Yancy Almonte is a guy who um, he's really good, but can be really bad if he loses command of a sweeper. He didn't have any minor league options left. Dodgers love the flexibility there. Um, and looking at the other moves, he was going to be, you know, one of those fringe guys to make the roster anyways. So you get two potential prospects here that might turn into something later for you for two guys who, you know, were potentially not going to be on your roster um, this year. So that's what it turns out to be there. Uh, so let's jump over to Seattle and Minnesota now where the Seattle Mariners acquired Jorge Polanco from the Minnesota twins and the twins get back. Anthony DiSclefani, uh, relief pitcher Justin Topa, outfield prospect Gabriel Gonzalez, and right-handed pitcher Darren Bowen. Yeah, I absolutely love this deal for the Twins. Um, Jorge Polanco is a really solid player. He's he's a veteran guy. He's he's had some good seasons, uh, but they they've upgraded at second base from him in in Edward Julian, who was a rookie last year and played really really well. They've upgraded at third base if in Royce Lewis. And of course, he can't really play shortstop anymore, anyways. But you've got Correa there, so you know Jorge Polanco kind of had lost his spot a little bit. And even though he's still a really solid player, so it does help Seattle in that aspect. But the Twins get back a lot. They got back a a, a you know a five starter, which is something they kind of needed. Uh, you know, with Sonny Gray gone, their their rotation had gotten a little bit thin. Even though I really like the top of their rotation still with Lopez and Joe Ryan, uh, they they needed another guy. And then Justin Tope is a solid reliever, uh, adds to their bullpen depth. And Gabriel Gonzalez is a top 100 prospect. So they got, you know, some pretty good pieces back. And I think Seattle did sit some cash with Disclafani too. I know that was, I had originally thought that Disclafani's yeah. thing was, you know, they're just, it was a way of buying prospects basically with, with, by taking on his money. 
but I think they took on a little bit of his money, but not all of it. So, so it was about, I'll say it's about $6 million, which then in turn turned yeah. into the Carlos Santana contract. So right. basically that's basically what it was. Right. So, I mean, I, I mean, I just think, um, you know, I think this is a great deal for the twins. Honestly, I, I don't know why I, I, I don't know. I don't know why that, you know, I felt like Seattle wouldn't have to give up all that to get a guy that's kind of like Jorge Polanco. So, so that's funny. I, I really like this deal for Seattle, right? They, they they don't give up any of their. I think their top two prospects. I don't know if Gun, uh, Gonzalez was a third or fourth uh, behind Harry Ford, but e- either way, right? I mean, to, the, the the Seattle bullpen is filthy. It's full of guys like Justin Topa, and they've got minor leaguers to to boot on that. Um, Disclafani was you know extra, right? He he hadn't even pitched an inning for him yet. They they were just trying to move the cash and. They're getting back a guy in Jorge Polanco who's really, uh, really solid when he plays, and you know a guy who sits around a 120 WRC plus each of the last three seasons. Um, you know he's he's started striking out a little bit more, but I think it's coming with some more power. Um, so you know he's a guy who got four wins above replacement in 2021. He's dealt with some injuries since then. I think this is kind of a slam dunk for Seattle, and given that they're looking for that impact up the middle. Um, where last year they had a kind of a rotating door uh, at second base and weren't able to find that that double play partner with uh, JP Crawford, who's kind of emerging as a, a really really good player at shortstop. And you know, for me, that this is a this, this irons it out. It, it's maybe a bit of a heavy price to pay. And, and the best deals are the deals where you can find a winner on each side, right? I mean, that's where where you can get grab two opinions and say, oh yeah, this is a a good deal trade for this team. It's a good trade for this team. There you go. So I, I think it's it's appropriate. Uh, but we we went around and it was one of those where if the we were all thinking, oh maybe the Cubs could pick up Polanco if he can play third base, and um, you know everybody was like, man, I would have paid that price. So I you know I feel like it, it's a good it's a good price. It's not too much, and you know top one hundred prospects tough, but Gonzalez is like a ball, like he's he's far far away. So uh, yeah, I like this for the for the Mariners, and you know that makes it that makes it different. Yeah, well. Uh, we'll just stay in Seattle because Jerry DePoto was doing Jerry DePoto things and making multiple trades. And that was that, you know, we were just talking about what they shipped out in Justin Topa. Well, they acquired Gregory Santos from the Chicago White Sox um, <laughs> to go right back into that bullpen for Prelander Barrios or Bar- 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 Barroa. Barroa. Oh, I thought it was an S. Yeah. I put an S there, not an A. Um, Barroa. Outfielder Zach Deloach and the pick 69 in this draft. So it's a very nice trade. Yeah, I think it's a good trade. Uh, it's, it's obviously a nice trade, but I think it's also a good trade. Um, you know, Gregory Santos, I, this dude is really good. Um, throws 99 on average. Uh, gets a lot of ground balls. It's got a lot of sync to it. Um, the strikeouts weren't quite what you would kind of expect from a guy like him, but... Uh, you know, the, I think a lot of the projection systems like it better. And he's, and he's got really good control for a guy that throws that hard, you know, only two walks per nine, uh, you know, last year for the White Sox, he was one, he was probably their best reliever last year at a 265 FIP, even though his ERA was like a 340, uh, their defense was horrible, <laughs> but, um, uh, you know, Seattle's going to get a, a guy that's just, he's going to add to that bullpen, just another hard throwing arm, you know, similar to, to Munoz, um, and then, you know, they get the White Sox get back a couple of interesting players who are top 25 prospects in, in their system now. I mean, uh, Baroa is kind of a, a guy that I think is similar in some ways to Gregory Santos, just the 
throws extremely hard. He's a reliever. Um, he he look he seems like a reliever type prospect. I think he actually was relieving for Seattle uh, in the minors last year. Had a 2.89 ERA in Double A. Got called up to the big leagues for a couple games. Uh, and then Zach Deloach is you know he's an okay bat. He's been pretty solid numbers wise in the minors. A little bit above average. Uh, you know play the outfield. He's got decent speed. I mean he's fine. Uh, maybe somebody who even could be make a make a run at a roster spot for them if, if that roster's not very good. So, um, and then you get that comp pick too. That's gonna not only add a, another chance to draft somebody, but add to your bonus pool in the draft, which is gonna be huge already. So, uh, definitely a uh, you know I think this is a kind of a win win. Uh, I really like Seattle getting Gregory Santos though. He is hurt. Is Gregory Santos has an elbow issue? Oh, um, he does. They they must be comfortable with it yeah. to make this deal. Was where I was going, and the the question was always: Are the White Sox going to move Gregory Santos? He's maybe one of their most valuable remaining bullpen pieces, kind of tradable guys, and no options. So I, I yeah, I, I actually he might have options, but he, I, I, either way, I feel pretty confident that Gregory Santos is going to you know retain the success he had this year. He's pretty effective for the White Sox and. You know, going to the Mariners system with a, a really good pitching development group, I, I'm pretty confident that the Gregory Santos is going to be good. This is a, a Justin Topa replacement, like we said, and um, I don't think the Mariners are giving up too much here, right? This is a team going for it, um, trying to build around a superstar that they have in Jose Rodriguez or uh, Julio Rodriguez. And they've done a lot of free agency moves. They haven't traded anybody out of that starting rotation other than Robbie Ray, who was not there for them last year anyway. Uh, and they've turned that into you know a bunch of really successful guys like Santos and Polanco. So I, I'm I'm liking this offseason for the Mariners. So per our resident prospect guru over at Batflip Breaks, Gonzalez was number three of the Mariners thing. Thanks, Hank Steinmiller, for that one. Um, Santos does have a minor league option left on his deal five years of control there um, but what i want to really know is who's signing up to face this bullpen at the end of games of gabe spear uh gregory santos matt brash and andres muñoz yeah not me after facing luis castillo logan gilbert george curry bryce miller or brian Wu. you're gonna win a lot of one you're gonna win a lot of games one to nothing if you're playing <laughs> the mariners yeah yeah that's a that's an insane bullpen there and, and to you know put put that behind that starting rotation there um, you're not going to have to score a lot of runs um, there. So uh, let's stay with the White Sox now because they did make another trade as well uh, the same day they traded Santos. And they acquired outfielder Dominic Fletcher from the Arizona Diamondbacks for pitcher Christian Mena. The Birmingham Barons legend, Christian Mena. He played for the Barons last year. Uh, I really I really like Dominic Fletcher for what it's worth. I, I think yeah. the that's that the white Sox is a place where he can you know start every day and find success that i think is possible with a you know athletic contact oriented center fielder that that fletcher is and he'll play the corners maybe but he'll he should he ought to play every day with the white Sox, right i mean he'll there's no the reason corner. not to so yeah yeah right He's, field probably but yeah, right yeah field. whatever yeah i mean this is a fine fine move i mean the Fletcher was really good at AAA last year. He played 28 games in the majors and was pretty good there. I mean, he's he's a fine, you know, a, a fine player. He's not like some super high-end prospect or anything, but he, he was a pretty good prospect in a good system last year. And then Christian Mena, um, you know, he's a guy that, you know, he's got pretty good stuff. You know, looks like he's got like a ton of different pitches. Um, 
I mean, I think his command needs to come along a little bit more, but you know, it's weird. You know, Fangraphs had him rated for like a 60 command, but he walked a lot of guys last year. So I don't know what the what's going on there. But, uh, you know, it, it's some form of upside to get for the Diamondbacks. You know, it's kind of a, you know, Dominic Fletcher didn't really have a place to play. And he's ready now. And Christian Mena, you can always find a place for a pitcher if he does well. So this was another Michael Bush-esque type trade. Guy didn't have a place, gets traded for something in the future. Yeah. Um, pretty much there. So um, I think we've kept you guys all waiting long enough on the big trade here. And that is the Baltimore Orioles acquiring Corbin Burns from the Milwaukee Brewers for left-handed pitcher DL Hall, which you can't say that anymore. So it's IL Hall legally now. Um, infielder Joey Ortiz and pick 34 in the 2024 draft. Yeah. Corbin Burns is very good. Uh, in 2023, he was not quite as good as he was in, in in the past few years. But, I mean, this is a guy that's a perennial all-star. He's won a Cy Young. Um, he probably could have won two Cy Youngs with the way he pitched in 2022. Uh, I mean, he's about as good of a pitcher as you're going to find out there on the market. And he's got one year of control left and you can tell by what they paid to get him, you know, about the one year of control left. Like, you know, that's how good of a pitcher he is. So uh, he's also been for the last couple of years, very, very durable, Uh, pitched 200 innings in 2022, pitched 193 innings in 2023. Uh, You know, I think that he's one of the premier pitchers in baseball and, and the, the, the Orioles really needed that ace. They need that guy that can carry them. I mean, Grayson Rodriguez has that upside. Kyle Bradish had a great year last year, but man, this is this is a guy that's going to really, really, really anchor that rotation. And now you've got a, a lineup that's got all these young bats that are all really, really good, and he's going to score a lot of runs to go along with a bullpen that probably could use another piece or two, especially with you know the Felix Bautista being out, who was so good last year, but. This rotation now, you've got three guys who you feel pretty good about, and then they've, they've still got prospects and younger guys and uh, you know some upside there too. So I, I think this is a very big move for Baltimore to get this. And, and what they gave up was interesting. Joey Ortiz is a really solid prospect. Uh, he was probably like, what, the fifth best prospect the Orioles have, but that means he was top 50. Um, but he's, um, you know, he's, he's, he's hits pretty well. Uh, you know, hit three, he had a 121 WRC plus in AAA last year. For, for uh, he's a decent fielder. He plays shortstop, play second, play third. He can kind of play, you know, all the infield spots. Um, doesn't hit for a lot of power, but hit for some in 2022. He hit 19 home runs in the minors in 2022. So there, there is some power there. But um, you know, I think it's a solid. You know, he's a he's a very solid prospect. And then, you know, you got DL Hall who is. A guy that is he's he's really confusing. He's been injured a lot and he's never really found the control. He did look really good in his, his cup of coffee he had this past year um in the majors. You know, he, he kept the walks down there. I think if you use DL Hall as a reliever, he could be a very, very good reliever. If you try to start him, I just don't know if his stuff's gonna work as a starter. But his stuff plays up out of the bullpen, his control seems to get a little bit better. He's you know, and you're not quite as worried about walks coming out of the bullpen. This is a guy that, you know, could be very, uh, you know, very effective and kind of being a hater replacement type guy for them eventually. Like he's got that kind of stuff. Uh, and then Joey Ortiz being solid. And then that, that 34th pick in the draft, that's a real draft pick too. 
uh, that's a guy that's, you know, you could get with that pick a top, you know, a fringe top 100 guy. So this is a really big trade, a, a lot of uh, a lot of value for Milwaukee. But, of course, Corbin Burns is worth that value, and, and Baltimore is going to have a really good – this is really cements their team this year, I think, as having a – being a favorite in the AL East. We have, we have Baltimore fans listening. Well, this is a horrible trade for the Orioles. What are you talking about? <laughs> uh, <laughs> nah, I, I'm so glad Corbin Burns is out of the NL Central, man. That dude is a a boss. He's very, very good. He The cutter is always strong. I can and attest funnily to enough, that. Yeah, the, the cup, the fun, yeah <laughs> you have. You, you've struck out to Corbin Burns, haven't you? Listen, we don't need to talk about that, all right? All right. Well, Although I brought it up. <laughs> Corbin Burns was actually a pitcher the Cubs did well against, right? And... and I'm still super glad he's gone, you know, and, and Ortiz and, and Hall are both good pieces, but you know, you're dreaming on them being a fraction of the value Corbin Burns was to the Brewers. And uh, the, the Brewers are now in a spot where Freddie Peralta is their ace and their, their pitching depth is pretty depleted. Like they might need to sign another reliever or, or another starter. And overall, it's just a, a group that is not, um, not going to be nearly as competitive pitching wise than they have in, in the past. And that's a little bit, shocking really that because the brewers have lived on pitching for so long and uh, also want to note uh though the brewers got josh Hader from the orioles i believe so yeah um yeah, there you go so it all comes full circle if if il hall can figure out how to be the closer and bypass devin williams at some point or if the brewers just trade Trey devin williams, williams and don't, yeah. don't pay him which is very possible well they just sort of pay him but not pay him pay him um but we we will have more orioles talking here just a second um, but first, let's jump over to the uh, St. Louis Cardinals now. Um, so this is all the moves, free agency and trades are done. This is just basic housekeeping stuff. Um, now, uh, the St. Louis Cardinals hired Hein Bloom to now be an advisor to the president of baseball operations, um, to John Mazalock, who then went on to MLB Radio, says he has two years on his contract. And that's pretty much going to do it for him in that role. And the Cardinals have never hired a president of baseball operations from outside the organization. So this pretty much seems like Bloom's being set up to take over the Cardinals in a couple of years. Yeah, I mean, this is this is a good hire. I, I think we went over this a little bit when, when he was fired, that that was a little bit of a weird move. And, uh, you know, he's Bloom's pretty pretty well regarded in the industry and one of those kind of smart Theo Epstein type guys that everyone kind of figured would help Boston, you know, maintain and really was unable to do that. And, you know, in St. Louis, it's a good fit. You know, they need good executives because that team, that organization tends to neglect paying the paying players um, and, and giving up the big free agent contracts and he'll have to go in there and, um, you know, push and pull the trade market to, to get it go swinging back in the, uh, the devil magic's favor there. So um, I, I mean, this is an obvious, an obvious slam dunk, I think for the Cardinals, but they, they do need to turn things around a little bit because last year was pretty unacceptable. Yeah. I mean, uh, I, I agree. I mean, it's a good move for the, for the uh, Cardinals to bring in a guy who's pretty well respected. Got a, he got a little bit of a raw deal in, in Boston. I don't think he was just killing it there, but he definitely didn't deserve to get fired. Um, and he's, um, you know, we'll see what happens. I mean, I know that there, there's been talk that their general manager, I think, is he's up after this year, so I, I wouldn't be shocked if he goes. Um, and and Heim Bloom kind of gets put in that spot. But 
uh, definitely interesting. It's always good to bring a smart, experienced executive in, especially when you've been struggling a little bit, bring a different voice to the table. So, um, you know, I think it's a solid move by the Cardinals. Yeah, it, it's a solid move for the Cardinals. And like you said, he kind of got the raw deal there in Boston, which we talked about before um, when the when his, he got fired there. But um, So let's go back to the Orioles now because this is a big, big story. Uh, the Angelos family has finally agreed to sell the Baltimore Orioles to uh, the main guy there is David Rubenstein. Um, and there's going to be others. I know Cal Ripken Jr. is involved in the ownership group. I forget the other guy. Um, that's a big investor in that, but the Orioles are selling for $1.725 billion. Um, this all kind of happened along the same timeline. I mean, I think this was announced on Wednesday. Um, and then Corbin Burns was traded out for on Thursday. Um, so it's not officially approved yet, but the deal is, uh, pretty much done that Dave Rubenstein will become the new owner for the Baltimore Orioles. Yeah, this is really cool for Orioles fans. Um, I know that they've had a lot of issues with Angelos, and I don't blame them. Uh, Angelos did a lot of dumb things, and you know he really r- ran that team with you know he d- he was really really tight on payroll and everything. Uh, you know now I think that if you people who kind of think this means the Orioles are going to spend an absolute ton of money and become a you know massive spender and you know, retain and, and extend every one of their players. And I don't think that that's going to be the case. I mean, a lot of times when you see these transitions happen, like, you know, the payroll doesn't kind of spike as you would hope, um, you know, because it's, you know, these new owners, they just spend a lot of money on the team. And, you know, it just kind of depends on, on their priorities. I mean, this guy, you know, he's not Angelos and that's great, but let's hope that he's, you know, lots better than Angelos and not just like, at least he's not Angelo's type owner. So it, it'll be interesting to see what happens there. But uh, that definitely definitely a lot of hope now for the Orioles in the future. Um, you know, they just came off a fantastic season. And all the talk this offseason is about, like, oh, in five years, their entire core that they've done such a good job building up is going to be gone. And now you, you've got some hope that that might not be the case. And they've also done some really cool things with the, with the city of Baltimore, and, and I think they've you know extending their lease and their stadium, and they're doing a lot of renovations and stuff. I think there's a lot of good things going for the Orioles right now, and this is a, a huge deal for them. And um, you know, I think it's going to be, I think I think it is going to be very good for the Orioles. But uh, I do want people to pump the brakes a tiny bit, but um, I'm very uh, very excited for Orioles fans. They've been through a lot. Baltimore's a really good sports town. They deserve a a team that's you know, a winner. I just want Angelos to move the left field fence back or the, or the new guy. Oh my move God. The left yes. Field fence back. Move it back in. Killed Ryan Mount. Yeah. Move it back in or, or at least give it a, a little happy medium there because it's murdered Ryan Mountcastle and a few of those other right-handed Orioles hitters. Uh, they, they get a lot of balls that should have been home runs that are not now. Um, and the park was bad before because of the, like the park factor was bad, but like that, that change I do not like. And hopefully they, they make some sort of renovation to it. Uh, so other, other than that, I mean, this is a slam dunk move. So, yeah, the other owner is Mike Argetti, by the way. So, I wanted to mention there him go. there as well. I do think it leads to them spending some more money. I think they have a better chance of maybe being able to to keep their core, um, you know, a lot easier than what the Angelos family would have allowed them to do. Um, you know, the, these guys are investment firm people. Um, you know, if you need to see how an investment firm is able to run a team. Not that the Orioles will be exactly like this, but just look at the Dodgers. They're, they're by the Guggenheim group right now. Um, 
which I think the investors total here are actually worth more than the Guggenheim group is. Um, so they have the potential firepower too. Now, if they will, will is still to be seen. Um, but they have the, the backing to where if they want to do big moves, they, they can, if they want to lock down that core, they can. So I'd be really excited to see what this looks like for Orioles fans here going forward. And yes, please, please move the fence somewhere. Cause that, that 90 degree angle in left center field is just horrendous. But, um, last, last piece of news that we had is that Theo Epstein is now joining the Red Sox ownership group and becoming a senior advisor to the Fenway group there. Um, and basically the Fenway group basically announced, Hey, we haven't been paying enough, to, enough attention to baseball with all of our other endeavors that are going on. So Theo Epstein will basically be our main advisor taking care of all of the baseball stuff while we deal with soccer and racing and whatever else we decide we want to blow our money on. Yeah. Um, the Theo Epstein, obviously, I'll let David talk more about him, but I mean, he's a, did an incredible job for the Red Sox to start with. And then for the Cubs, I mean, he's won lots of world series and just coming in as, even though he's not going to be in a decision-making role, I guess coming in and, and get letting his voice be heard on an official basis is going to be very, I mean, I, I would assume beneficial for the, for the Red Sox. It at least can't hurt. So, uh, and, and being a partial ownership there is, is very cool for him and, uh, definitely, uh, you know, uh, I think it's a cool move. So yeah, Theo for all his, his up upsides has some downsides too. We've seen that with his kind of unceremonious exit from Boston the first time. Yeah. It's good that they're patching that back up. Um, and it's good that, you know, he, he was kind of with major league baseball. It looks like he's going to be more involved on that ownership side and, um, you know, staying maybe out of the front offices. He was, he's been rumored as candidates a few times, but, um, you know, as, as an ownership advisor, I don't know that he'll have all that much to impact on this, but at the very least, I think maybe we'll see Boston go back to flexing the, the financial muscles that we expect the Boston Red Sox to flex, um, being one of the more rich and, and history rich teams in major league baseball. And they've, they've kind of not been acting like that of late. So, uh, maybe Theo gets him pointed in the right direction once again, as he did with the Cubs uh, over the mid 2010s. Yeah, that's what I think it's just going to end up be, being basically is that he's able to basically be the ownership's eyes and ears for the team when they're off doing everything else and just basically paying attention where they lacked for a long time. Um, you know, now that they have Craig Breslow, you know, the, he'll work with, uh, with Theo Epstein there, but um, obviously, Brazil will still have the day-to-day operations to take care of. Uh, so that is everything that we have to talk about. That was an extremely long episode. We're an uh, hour and 41 minutes in here on top of our hour delay of internet issues that we had to deal with. So thank you, everyone, for tuning in with us and sticking with us through this. We are back weekly starting this week, so you will start seeing us every single Monday here um, starting next week, we'll be doing division breakdowns through the entire uh, what's left of February and through middle of March, basically to the Korea series. We'll be doing those division breakdowns uh, and then March 25th will be our predictions episode. But in the meantime, we still have the big four free agents, you know, Cody Bellinger, Matt Chapman, Jordan Montgomery, Blake Snell. They haven't signed. Um, so hopefully they fit in there. We'll still find a way to talk about those guys as well when that happens and, and uh, some other big dominoes. But Anything else that you guys want to wrap up on here before we uh, before we head out? I don't think so. Uh, very uh, 
very exciting uh very exciting few weeks coming up with spring training starting and a ton of free agent movement movement still to happen so uh, also, more trades potentially could happen, too. Yep. I know there's been some rumors about a few different guys, so uh, it'll definitely be interesting to see what happens there as well. General needs to sign Cody Bellinger. That's it. All right. That's enough. So uh, thank you guys <laughs> again for tuning into this episode of the Batflip Podcast, and we will catch you guys back here next week.